0: How y'all feel? hi everyone
1: thank you i'm nicole hey y'all i'm bernie and my name is evie and you're here with the woke woke docs a podcast about the lives of women of color in medicine and health justice thank you so much for all being here give yourselves a round of applause So before we start anything, we just really want to make sure that we're centered and present in this space. And so is going to lead a wonderful meditation, and we would love for you all to take part in it. Thanks so much, EVA. Um,
2: I just want to honor again the, the title of this event, which is Healing Justice by and for women of color rooted in Oakland. And I think the first step to really honoring that is to really acknowledge the space that we're in. In gratitude to Red Bay for giving this space to us tonight, as well as the land that we're on, as well as so many of the families and communities here. We I feel like we we know every single person in this room, either through some personal connection or spiritual connection. And you are here for a purpose, and we just really want to honor that with our collective breaths together. And so we're going to do three collective breaths as part of this meditation and honor and gratitude for all of the women of color and communities of color that have lifted all of us up here to be here. And yeah, we're just in gratitude, deep gratitude. And so if it Feels comfortable for you, I invite you to lower your gaze or close your eyes. And perhaps hand over heart and belly to really feel these life sensations, this heartbeat, and this breath. Go through every single cell in your body. This heartbeat is keeping you alive and this rise and fall in your belly is allowing you to be alive today and what a beautiful blessing. And we'll take three collective breaths in gratitude. And so wherever you are in your breath cycle, I invite you to exhale all your air out completely releasing any tension or stress that may have come up during this week. And inhaling together. And exhale with the H-A sound. And inhaling once more, your deepest, fullest breath of the day, you are alive, you are here. And exhale with the H-M sound. And inhaling once more. We are in community. We are in love. And exhaling with H A sound. And I invite you to open your eyes whenever you're ready. Thank you for being here. Let's give one more round of applause for our panelists. They look so beautiful up here. Thank you, y'all. Again, just as an intro to this live recording of our podcast, this is so fun. We've literally never done this. We are improvising as we go, which is really cool. Um, Every single person here has roots in Oakland. And I think that's so special because Oakland has its own vibe. Oakland has its own energy. Um, And women of color have been so critical to uplifting the lives and communities of Oakland in different ways. And um, every single person on this panel is so different but what really binds them as a thread is the fact that all of them have embodied this belief that we need to transform and heal ourselves as we transform and heal our communities. And so, yeah, we're super excited. We're gonna pass around this mic um, as y'all are gonna answer these questions. So thank you so much, y'all.
0: So I, I, I think we're gonna start off with a quick introduction. Um, we'll hand the mic to the different Uh, Panelists, and just a quick introduction for the audience.
3: Hey, they call me Honey Gold J. I really am saucy. It's something that they say, and I ain't really need your validation. But hey, I'm grateful for the compliment any day. I mean, it feel good to know you look good too. But when it comes from within, you know that is true. And you gotta keep it real with yourself, boo. Do you really need that car and that dress too? Ye, that's what I'm all about. That's me, Honeygold Jasmine. You can call me Jasmine for short. Um, I'm a community activist, a singer-songwriter. I'm connected to Bernie specifically um, as my role as a facilitator at the Youth Impact Hub where we help young people develop their businesses. I also work for Beats, Rhymes, and Life, which is a hip-hop therapy organization. And um, I'm also doing work in the cooperative economic sector as well. I'm doing admin work and um, I do events, so. that's me.
4: Thank you. Hi, my name's Angela, uh, or Angela Aguilar. I am a birth worker, traditional birth worker, AKA doula. Um, Also a PhD student in ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. And I'm a mother, have two children that are here. Hey, right there, over there. Uh, and I also um, am, have a master's in public health, um, just really happy to be here and see all your beautiful faces. I use uh,
5: she, her pronouns. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Aisha Mays, I am a family medicine, adolescent medicine doctor and the founder of the Dream Youth Clinics, which are here in Oakland, downtown Oakland. Uh, I'm also a professor in the joint medical program and I love to see so many of my students and um, colleagues in the audience. Uh, And I just really love um, the work that I do here in Oakland in the community with young people, but also um, with educating and and also being educated by our next generation of um, health leaders. So thanks so much, I'm happy to be here.
6: Greetings, uh, my name is Leah Kimball-Price. I am lots of things. Who am I tonight? Um, I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm third generation Oakland, gang, gang town biz. Um, I am an activist and an abolitionist, so I work in um, the sector of um, the liberation theory around human trafficking and um, the survivors of human trafficking are under the age of 18. Um, yeah, and I was raised here. I'm proud to be from Oakland. Um, I'm Black Panther raised, so I take this very serious. And um, the work that I do that brought me here is around um, opening housing and support for child survivors of human trafficking. Hey, y'all.
7: Um, let's see, my name is Francis. who am I? Born and raised in East Oakland, I am a daughter to, refu- to Vietnamese refugees. I am a scholar activist. Um, I am a soul sister to many, and I got my master's in public health just um, this past May. And a lot of my work and research focuses on mental health and intergenerational trauma in refugee communities and healing. And I am an aspiring therapist as well.
0: Okay, so this first question is for Angela. <laughs> How did you come to learn about ancestral indigenous healing?
4: Thank you, that's a big question. Um, I think first maybe defining the way I define ancestral and traditional healing. Um, it, it shapes all of the work that I do, not just the healing work, but the, my own personal healing work but also my studies. Um, my family, I grew up with a grandmother who was a the, the community curandera, but that's not what, what we call that lady, you know? <laughs> Uh, she was the, the lady that folks came to and she did everything. You know, she had like herbal remedies, she like read people's cards, she like, busted out her stones, talked to spirits, everything. So I got to I got to be around all of that and then she uh, moved away. So then there was disconnection there. Um, and then you know, as I started to just try to reconnect with my with my ancestral lineage. Um, living and, you know, past folks. You know, I find out that my great-grandmother on, my, my grandfather's mother was a midwife. Um, this is after I had already become a doula, so those, in that pool, you know, that way, um, was my ancestors p- calling me back. Um, and then my great-grandmother, my grandmother's mother is a, a yerbera a herbalist, was just, she just died at the age of 90 seven uh, in in April. So, you know for me ancestral traditional medicine healing knowledge (laughs) all of it um, You know, it's it's a reminder for for myself as a brown woman as someone who comes from a lineage of folks who were You know purposefully disconnected from our knowledge in order to keep us in the positions that we've been in for the last 500 years. Um, it's a way for us to remember that we have created medicine. We've been, we've been keeping ourselves alive since before, you know, biomedicine. Um, and, and our folks were living till you know, 90-something, 700 years ago, 1,000 years ago, 10, 40,000 years ago. I don't know. However many thousands of years ago. And so it's a way in the way that I... I Um, incorporate into my work and also my scholarship is that look we we have multiple ways of knowing things you know it's never like being against biomedicine it's always like that's just one way that's just one way and we've always had these ways and so um, the work that I do as a birth worker and also the work I do in community so I'm also a core member of the Healing Clinic Collective, um, and I can talk more about that later if there's time, or you can ask me questions about that. We're a collective of um, traditional uh, ancestral and indigenous healers and community organizers who organize for healing justice um, in Oakland, mainly. Um, I don't know where, where I was going with that. But, <laughs> but the work that I do also in community is very much grounded in um, ancestral and traditional healing and medicine. And I'll leave it at that for right now because there's so much to say, yeah.
1: Thank you so much, that was a beautiful response. Um, My next question is for Aisha and for Leah because I know you guys know each other. And um, (laughs) Aisha, you talked about you doing family medicine and Leah, you talked about the work that you do with the houses for um, young girls who have been trafficked who are survivors of human trafficking. And I'm just wondering, how you guys feel that your two practices work together. Um, yeah, just sort of what healing means to each of you in that way and like the sort of uh, collaborations you guys have been able to have. I'm really curious to know more about that.
5: Well, it's so, it's so interesting that you ask about how our work Blends together because we actually work together <laughs> as well, um, sort of directly in partnership. Um, so at the the Dream Youth Clinic, we work with some of the most vulnerable young people in in Oakland, uh, including young people who've been impacted by the foster care system, uh, the juvenile justice system, and young people who've been affected by sex trafficking, uh, similar to what Leah um, uh, mentioned in her opening. Uh, and And in that, we collaborate and we really focus on and and um, partnership, partnering with other organizations in the community that have shared values and um, shared approaches to the work, and Leah is definitely one of, uh, a strong partner of ours in the work that they are um, doing uh, through the or having the supportive house um, for young people who've been affected by trafficking. Uh, I guess what I think about sort of healing for, for youth and how I come to the work is um, really engaging young people and uh, believing that, that young people are the holders and drivers and have the knowledge around how they want to be cared for. And it is um, my, my duty as uh, a health worker and a healer to bring that out. And to and to and to follow them around their path and what they want for their, their lives and their healing, and to really support youth agency. So so many times that we think about working with young people, it's around either us telling them what they should do or how they should do it or where they should abstain from or prevent. And then we wonder why none of those things are actually happening. So I think when we're when we actually have the approach where we are um, honoring the um, intelligence, brilliance, agency. Independence of young people, then we could actually really get to the root of um, how they care for their health and what they and how they want to live their lives, and we can support that.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that um, the reason that our work is always intersecting <laughs> is because we have a strong held belief around. Um, youth as medicine, people as medicine, people of color most definitely as medicine, black women as their own medicine. And so um, when we're looking to support young people, it's not because we know what young people need, it's because we listen um, and we follow directions. And so, um, so many folks who are seeking to support young people don't do either of those things. Um, we, we have shared value for those outcomes. And so it's not about knowing Um, what is best. It's about listening and being humble, Um, you know, managing your own ageism, managing your internalized racism, managing um, all the little voices that we know are not our own. And so I think that's definitely why we always work well together and we often come up with the same idea at the same time. Um, are doing the same things on other sides of town. So um, I think that's really where that juncture comes from is the idea that the reason I do this work is because that's what I was told to do. And so I was told to do that by my ancestors but also by my descendants. And so um, my job is to be obedient, um, not so much to come up with new ideas because there's no such thing as a new idea. So um, when we're looking at, to, to your point, Angela, about um, ancestral healing, so this is the work that I've been guided to do and I'm just following directions. And I think that's something that Aisha and I have in
1: common. I love that, active listening. I think when I started medical school, that's something that I heard someone say off the bat, Like, make sure you actively listen. And I feel like that is so key. I really value that you guys say that you're not just telling them to do things, you're listening to what they need and just finding how you can support them to the best of your abilities. I feel like that truly is where the healing, where the healing starts. Yeah, I was
2: also going to comment, I like love hearing all three of you at the same time because I'm not going to lie. I mean, I feel like I talk about this on every podcast episode, (laughs) but it's just like being a woman of color in medicine sometimes is, um, especially coming from. Filipino, um, Chinese heritage is like, I carry so many healing methods from my ancestors and knowing that we have ways of healing that are not acknowledged by Western medicine. And oftentimes it's enraging to go into a classroom and see that being dismissed as like some woo-woo shit or as just like, there's not enough evidence, it's not evidence-based. And I'm like, evidence-based, like, I feel it in my body. I see it in our people. I'm alive. And um, I'm just grateful because all three of you have really helped me and continue to help me find that bridge and see myself as a bridge. Um, and so I just want to thank all of y'all for that. And thank you. I just, I love hearing all three of you um, really build off of each other. So thank you. Um, Francis and Honeygold, y'all, y'all some are my soul sisters, and y'all are true healers, and I just also want to talk to both of you of how have you witnessed healing as, a, as community activists, as people who are in direct, direct connection with different communities in Oakland, as a musician, as a soul sister, aspiring therapist. Um, yeah, could you talk more about that? Yeah, most um,
3: I can say that i mean i I heal because I'm healing, you know what I'm saying um, a lot of times, I find myself struggling with like you know, is this really helping anybody right like me doing music and, and following what I want to do because sometimes like within my own family I realize I'm breaking like so many generational curses that it feels honestly I think uncomfortable um, to some of my elders to like maybe address that I'm one of the first people in my generation to actually be able to do what I want to do, right? like so many people in the generations of before me they may have had dreams and goals but they kind of had to give it up because of the oppression they were under and like how hard it was to actually like get a job as a black person in America um, and then now I'm finally at a generation where like I can pursue wanting to do music and I can pursue things that are a bit more like leisurely or you know looked at that way and um, and that's been healing for me within and of itself because I realized that a lot of our people have had to just do what we had to do. You know what I'm saying, not really what we wanted to do. And so I see that me healing myself and answering that voice within that, that inner child that wanted to do what I wanted to do in music and, and community since I was two, knowing I wanted to do this. is healing within and of itself. And um, I'm from Vallejo, California, but when I started going to Mills College, I started to like dive into the underground music community out here in Oakland, and I realized that it was just a whole bunch of people that may have come from like homes similar to mine, right? Where like, I'm kind of like the iridescent sheep. That's why I call it not black sheep, but iridescent sheep. <laughs> and <laughs> you could take that, you could use that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Cause it's so relevant. And it's just a whole bunch of us, like, gathered together, like, oh, snap, you went through that at the house? And you kind of start going into your stories and stuff. And I just find it's a whole bunch of people that are just looking for family and community and a place to be that's positive, that's like, when you leave, you feel hella, like, wholesome inside. So as i'm going through my process of healing, I, that's what i want to bring to every space i'm in and i find that that's what other people are bringing too. like it's not just me that's creating like music that's speaking to people. it's like a whole community out here, you know what i'm saying? so this healing process is very loud and it's it's out loud and it it involves all of us. you know, it, i i literally would not be who i am if it wasn't for like the community out here in Oakland and music just like supporting me and just continuing to take me on a journey. Thank you for sharing.
7: Um, honestly, I feel like I don't even know where to start, but I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna speak from the heart. Um, I feel like this whole healing journey has been difficult. I think it really comes down to me acknowledging that there's so much unresolved, intergenerational familial pain and trauma that, that it's, it's for me to start, start addressing so that the next generations don't have to suffer. Um, I've realized that my divine purpose is to heal myself so I can help others heal. Um, Just growing up in Oakland, growing up in a single parent refugee household, being the daughter of a single mother, and just all these different layers layers of identities that really accumulate the burden that I carried, um, my whole life, and realizing that I, sh- I, sh- I shouldn't be carrying all this. Um, and I think I've, you know, my mom came here to give us a better life, give me and my brother a better life. Um, and I realized that, you know, she she did the surviving so that I don't have to. But I feel like I'm in, I'm in transit from surviving to thriving. And it's, it's a lot of having to figure things out on my own, um, having to look for my mentors, having to look for a community that I can go through life with. Um, so I think all these questions that I ha- I've i had at, at, as a young girl, um, and also like being rooted being rooted in Oakland and like being part of APAL, shout out to Faye right there, um, being part of APAL and like these amazing youth organizations, like I've realized the impact of what what it means when they say, like, the youth is the future. I didn't understand that 10 years ago, but I understand what that means. Like, like we're making this impact. I'm, I'm doing this work because, um, sorry, I'm all scattered all over the place. Um, so I had all these questions going into grad school. I feel like a lot of personal things was just, was happening, a lot of deaths happening in my family that kind of, um, unlocked a lot of family secrets, a lot of projections, a lot of suppressed and unprocessed emotions that came out and was projected at each other. Um, It was turmoil and I was starting my program two years ago and I think I had all these questions because I just wanted to understand my mom better. I wanted to understand the silence in her family. And that's why I pursued my, my research in intergenerational trauma in refugee communities because I, I needed answers. Um, and then that led to like, having these authentic conversations with, with people and then finding spaces like Freedom School and then realizing my calling is to become a therapist and then just surrendering. Um, I had a spiritual awakening too, I can talk about that later. But surrendering and just allowing for what God and the universe has planned for me. So that's where I am, it's just receiving now.
1: Wow. You guys, this is why I love being a part of this podcast because I just get to sit back, listen to these people speak words of wisdom, let it touch my heart, tear up a little bit. Um, that was very beautiful. And just thank you both for sharing because um, we obviously are medical students, and so we plan on going into um, this very specific field, but it's just so beautiful to hear about how healing is going on um, within ourselves. When you talked about breaking those intergenerational curses, talking about being raised by a single mom, and all those things very much resonated with me. Loved it, and so just thank you for being so open and vulnerable. with everyone here so we could have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Our
2: next, we wanted to shift gears and really talk about the changes in Oakland. Cause y'all have been rooted in this community for a while and there are hella changes. We're not gonna name them, um, but we can see in our communities, the makeup of the people, the storefronts, The people we say hey to are moving out, and new people are moving in, new sectors and industries are coming to the Bay Area, have been coming to the Bay Area, and um, gentrification, displacement, um, there's so much talk about that, and there's so much focus on the problem, and I don't think that there's enough highlight about how women of color have been critical to the healing of Oakland in this process of change. And so we just wanted to open it up to anyone who can answer more about how have women of color been so critical to the healing of Oakland and the Bay Area in the midst of all of this change that our communities are experiencing.
4: Um, So I think it's not a, a a coincidence that there's a big rise in people being trained in birth work right now. Doulas, like maybe you didn't know what that term was, you know, five years ago and now hell folks are being, you know, trained as doulas, especially black and brown folks. Especially to serve black and brown folks, systems impacted folks, disabled folks, you know, uh, folks who are historically, consistently mistreated um, in biomedicine, by biomedicine, and then there's legacies of, like, you know, torture in biomedicine, you know, um, towards these communities of folks. And so I don't think that that it's a coincidence. I I know that it's, again, it's that calling. Um, Folks, remember, birth is, well, Who who was born here? You know, it's like the one life event we all have in common. You know, and it's that first um, kind of it's our first experience with the world, right? And so um, I was trained postpartum as a postpartum doula many years ago by a black midwife, and she what she says I always tell everyone. She said, you know, the way you come into the world is the way that you can be in the world. Is the way that you can be in the world, right? So if you come in being loved up on the person who's giving birth to you, being loved up on, being elevated, being raised, being told how beautiful, being had song, having songs sing to them, songs of their ancestors, you know, rattling, you know, all of these things that we can do really anywhere, you know, at the home, in the hospital. We like to do them at home a lot too. Um, if that happens, imagine for this child, this baby, right? What can be because they're Per, the person who's giving birth to them is experiencing something that they probably not experienced before in their lives, and so I think again, this calling to birth work is really important because it's more than just the birth of the child; it's the birth of a person as a parent, of a community. Right? I we my my partner, my doula partner, Alejandra, is over here in the back. Say hey. <laughs> um, you know, we we talk a lot about how birth work and doula work is organizing work, it's community organizing work, like bringing that back and reminding folks that, I mean, that's like the original organizing, you know? It's like, who's gonna bring this? Who's gonna do that? Who's gonna come over here? Who's gonna bring food? That's organizing. We all have the capacity to do that, and so um, I feel like that's one one thing that is happening in Oakland, and that's kind of like, it's moving along with the people, you know? Um, Yeah.
5: Yeah, I, I agree around um, uh, just continuing support with change. So I think we all have noticed a lot, many of the changes in Oakland, and I also think that change is natural and um, and it's something that's supposed to happen, and um, and it doesn't have to be an attack on a community and it doesn't have to be an abusive um, event. Uh, it can be and it often is the way that we see it in sort of our society here. Um, and so, and that some of those things we we are experiencing here in Oakland, uh, and some of us are directly experiencing those things from um, real displacement, where people are being um, displaced from their apartments to a tent, not from their apartments to the other side of town but from their apartments to homelessness. I mean, these things that we're seeing in our clinic were um, families, we're seeing young people showing up in our clinic because their families were evicted on a a, a bogus eviction and the young person shows up in the clinic and the parent is sleeping in their car. So those are the kind of things that are really, really impacting our communities. And some of the ways I've seen Um, black women um, and women of color um, talking about that are are becoming even more active. So Oakland is a place of where activism has always been on the forefront and change has always come through activism here and we're continuing to do that and we're continuing to bring in young people to be a part of that activism. Uh, Continue to educate them around um, the things that are directly affecting them and then also what they can do to organize and how we can organize with them um, to resist some of the change, to become even more politically active at this moment, um, using the institutions that we have, like particular um, offices, running for those offices, um, knocking on doors, going and speaking to our representatives, and creating grassroots movements to um, challenge uh, these systems that are transforming our communities and excluding um, major parts of the community that built uh, so I think that it's a uh, it's a it's a um, it's a very tumultuous time where we see that uh, that people are really living on the margins and on the fringes and it's it's it hurts it hurts me when I, I talk to young people and hear um, just the displacement and that they're that they're experiencing and we try to be mindful um, to. Uh, continue to engage with them around what they can do and how, what, how we can all advocate to uh, resist some of this transformation and to um, ensure that c- our communities are included, that we're included. So it's not about um, resisting change because change happens, but it doesn't have to happen in the way that we're experiencing it.
6: You guys put us in this order for a reason. (laughs) Uh, So, people of color, women of color, black women, original midwives, they are their original, we birth things, it's what we do, we make everything. Um, Nothing exists that we didn't create. And so, um, we create change, we we bring change, we we are the doulas, right? And so, um, thinking about sort of the legacies that I'm familiar with as a, as an original Oaklander, or whatever that means. We all know what that means. Um, <laughs> but we we also have always had people coming. That's not the issue. We've always had newcomers. Always, that's just what the Bay is about. Um, but we've also had people who came to the Bay for the Bay. Um, and now we have people coming to the Bay to change the Bay. Um, we don't do that, so. You know, looking at sort of the change that we see, especially the parts that are incredibly violent, um, and including displacement and gentrification, um, the only long lasting, the only long-lasting change comes from Black women. So if we didn't make it, it's not staying. Um, everything else is temporary. All pain is temporary, um, and so that's really the thing that grounds me and focuses me: is how do we? sustain? these things. This is definitely not the worst thing we've ever been through (laughs) by a long shot. Um, We were built for this. And so I think really tapping into our young people, tapping into their voices um, because they are the closest to the portal, right? So birth is as close as we can get to our ancestors as possible. And so young people are closer. (laughs) They're smarter, they're wiser, um, they're less corrupted. And so um, we'll need Young people get angry and black women get organized, good things happen, and so um, I'm optimistic. Uh, We're savages, and the best meaning of that word, and so um, it's rough right now. It's going to get rougher, and we'll be here.
3: Wow, I feel honored to be here with y'all. For real, for real. Um, Then the question was basically like, in the face of Oakland's changes, how have we healed? Um, So going back to like my beginnings out here. So I was going to Mills College, which, whew, okay. That school. Um, I mean, I'm still healing from that school and my whole experience there. Um, And (laughs) it actually has to do with housing a little bit. Um, basically, I was living in their parent dorms. As you can see, I'm a parent, and they have like apartments that are specifically for parents. And so, I was going through a lot of weird stuff with their administrative center because, I mean, if they're just horrible, um, that's just the best way I could put it. They basically like campaign their school to be about so- social justice, but their whole admin is like totally not. They like. It's, it's such a weird like 180, you know? But I, I think it was very strategic because we are going through a wave, a time right now where it was like, you know, it's cute to say you're woke. You don't necessarily have to actually be, but like Mills was like hopping on that train, like, you need all the best innovators and activists and do do do. So they start kind of going on a campaign to get more students of color, more black students, right? And that's how I got into the school. So I transferred there, started living in the dorms. Came up on my last semester, and I only had one class, turned in the paperwork to do the class. Fast forward to December. They bust into my apartment. As I'm taking a final, like, you aren't enrolled in classes. You're not supposed to be here. You've been living here illegally for all these months. And I'm just like, what? Like, I'm literally taking my final right now. So I started going through all this stuff with them, and they're like, you have a week to move out. I'm like, that's not even legal. Like, at least can you give me a month, you know? And so all this stuff happened. They gave, they gave me the month because that definitely was gonna be a lawsuit if they tried to get me out there in a week. And um, they claimed to be kind of helping me find housing afterwards because I was expressing I need help. And they really, like, somebody I never even talked to in this situation just emailed me out of nowhere, like, housing in the Bay Area. That was the subject line. In the email, they're like, um, have you thought about moving to Antioch or um, Stockton? Or they're just naming all these peripheral cities. Not considering that I'm from Vallejo. I'm from the Bay. You know what I'm saying? Oakland is the, our cousin. You know what I'm saying? We going like this. So I'm not leaving the Bay. But they're like, it's so expensive to live out here. You might as well look somewhere else. And that really just like. It will never leave my mind that like a school that's out here in Oakland that definitely has a bad reputation for not being involved with Oakland at all is sending a student that's from the Bay Area that's one of the few black students they have they're suggesting that I move to a whole nother city because gentrification like there's no kind of like help for students after the fact it's just kind of like well you owe us money whatever and I feel like I was able to endure all of that because of the community I have found outside of Mills. Like Mills totally didn't give me that at all. It was the healing circles I start going to. So like that very first open mic I went to was actually called the Sistar Cypher. It was the very first open mic I've ever went to out here. And it really set the tone for like the community I was gonna be in. Like the Sistar Cypher, it was like, it's all women-centered, black women-centered that was the understanding period, you know what I'm saying? And out of that, I started going to healing circles at Regina's door. Um, And then I was like in that community and I just, I never been in a healing circle, you know what I'm saying? I had never seen like women that vulnerable and in a space that it's not clinical at all, but like we left really feeling like we were healed. And I, I really give thanks to my ancestors, cause I do feel like they are guiding me into a place to have that support system. Cause if I would have just had went through meals and went out and didn't have any kind of like social life or wasn't connected, I'm telling you like my mental health would have been worse going out than it was going in. And so I definitely see that like, and even now if you go peep their website, there's nothing on there about social justice anymore. There's nothing on there that's even like remotely, a person of color, a black person, you know what I'm saying, maybe in the peripherals, but it's because they started seeing that like, when you call that energy in, that's what you're gonna get. You're not gonna get students in these walls not saying nothing and not on the lawn protesting and stuff. And they didn't want that smoke, you know what I'm saying? And really that's what it is. It's like when we heal, people get that smoke because it's been a lot of fires that ain't been started. You know what I mean? That really should have been started because of the energy you know what I'm saying? Like that, that was trans, transgressed against us and it's, it still hasn't stopped. Cause I do firmly believe that like their administration, they don't care about people that are low income, that are black, that are brown, you know what I'm saying? They don't care. Um, and I think it's just because so much of the changes are about the money. You know what I mean? Like, gentrification is a long game. Like, we're in the last five years trying to fight something that they've been planning for 50. You know what I'm saying? It's blueprints of how things were supposed to be that are now a thing. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's, it's like the healing is not only around us, like, you know, facing what's now, but facing the fact that we do have to like kind of let go a lot of the, the things we have around each other and like between each other because people are putting that aside to plan a hundred years out to change stuff. And even though it's changing right now, best believe they're already coming up with plans for 50, a hundred years out that we gotta get on the ground right now and start fighting because it's gonna keep on happening again and again to my daughter, you know what I'm saying? When she goes through an institution just, you know, being brought in, washed up, and thrown out if she don't have the right support system. Frances, do you want to say
8: something?
7: I was in San Diego from 2011 to 2017, and that's when all the changes happened in Oakland, I feel like. Um, I came back for grad school, so really big transitions, and I was really angry two years ago. I feel like that's all I could talk about is, is I mean talking shit about the pugs and like people walking their pugs at 8 p.m. Um, like all these, like all these, you know, health. Like, I, I wrote an op-ed about um, Ford Go Bikes. It's a capitalist scam. It's just like an indicator of gentrification because who, who, who are those bikes really for? And all these like good intention, like health centers and like juices, it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm about that, but it's just an in, affordable, inaccessible, and it's not for, it's not for, I mean, it's it's intended for a particular type of audience. Um, but I would say, I think over the past two years, I've just allowed my, um, allowed for the grieving process, just allowing that anger to, to subside and just now being intentional about who I support and um, reaching out to folks um, that are local and just being intentional about my money and like who I'm supporting. So that's, that's where I am.
0: Thank you all so much for sharing that. Um, was really powerful. It was really amazing to hear um, all of your perspectives. Um, and I think one of the things that a lot of you mentioned was the key is in community. This healing is gonna take part as a community and not as individuals. Um, and so I think the next question comes from that. Um, what intersections are you excited about? What, what you do, what you see out there, what are you excited about for healing these communities that we just mentioned? Um, and if there's, like like you said, um, about like the future, planning already for the future, Um, What intersections do you have in mind maybe um, for that?
3: Um, One that I work directly in is music therapy. Um, It's something I'm super excited about because working with the youth is dope to see them get excited about something that they're already excited about, right? But like they don't realize it's therapy. Um, and there's already a lot of like cultural reframing that we have to do around music, especially with hip hop being like basically pop music now because it's the most listened to genre in the world. Um, there's a lot of co-opting even in that industry that's intentionally happened. Like the fact that now it's kind of like the shoot up, kill up rappers that are the most popping, that's intentional. It's not necessarily because people want that. It, kind of get conditioned to want it. You kind of get conditioned to get used to the sounds and stuff, and our youth are the most susceptible to that because the youth are the ones who drive the culture in hip hop. Youth Hip hop has always been a youth driven genre. So it's easy to make therapy around hip hop youth centered because it's, it already thrives that way. And so I'm really excited about it because there's one youth in particular that I've worked with that when I first started working with her, well, the group—it's a group therapy, um, and I do it with facilitators. So when we first started working with this youth, they literally didn't want to share in front of class. They didn't want to participate in nothing. A couple of years ago, and now just this past summer, they were an intern and actually able to share and like show that they're particip—they're willing participant participant in the group because they were totally like anti, and it was kind of like their thing. And it was all out of trauma, though. You know what I mean? They weren't like not wanting to participate because they genuinely weren't interested, but just because like going through so much at home and already like dealing with homelessness at like in high school, and you know it's it's really deep. And she would never really talk to anyone in conversation about what she's going through, but you were hearing in those raps though. And that's the same thing with a lot of these youth; they don't want to talk about it all the time but they will put it in the rap and then you can vibe with it too. Like they're allowing you to like nod your head to their trauma, you know what I'm saying? They wearing it like it's a badge. Like I got through this, you know? So I'm really excited about where hip hop therapy will go. And um, Beast Rhymes In Life is probably one of the few ones in the whole world right now. They actually copy the term hip hop therapy. They were founded in Oakland. So to your point, a lot of dope stuff gets founded in Oakland and then it just catches wildfire throughout the rest of the world when people realize how dope it is. Thank you.
4: Um, I'm excited about the the work that, well, the birth work always, um, and specifically my connection with the Healing Clinic Collective. Um, the Healing Clinic Collective, as I was mentioning, is a, a collective of healers, organizers, community folks who are rooted in Oakland and the Bay. Um, and we organize um, no cost, I like to say free, but <laughs> no cost, um, um, healing clinics, pop-up healing cl- clinics, and where we focus on ancestral, traditional, and indigenous healing practices. So making that accessible specifically to uh, system-impacted folks, you know, um, formerly incarcerated folks, uh, queer, transgender, expansive folks. So that's like our intention and, and our prayer. And so the other th- the other beautiful thing about organizing with this community is that we organized in a ceremonial way, in a very like sacred way. So we, we put down prayers before we, uh, as we start the organizing process. It's a really long process, but that whole process of organizing is itself healing for some of us. It brings up a lot, because healing's not like, you know, all beautiful and, you know, it's, it's a winding road where you get burnt, and <laughs> it hurts, and uh, all those things happen, and we learn a lot. And so, I'm really excited about the work that we've been able to do. Um, the work is not—we don't—we um, don't exclude anybody, right? We're—we're we're, everyone's invited, and we've noticed that it's mainly been Black and Brown folks that come. And it's because we're, there's the calling, there's the pool. A lot of young folks come, you know, because there's the calling, there's the pool. And so I'm just excited about that work. We've taken a, a break from actually um, organizing the clinics because we did get some feedback from our queer, trans, and gender expansive folks about the feelings of safety that come up. Um, in the spaces not that they've ever experienced that anything you know violent has happened but that you know it's just a question like can I actually show up there and are folks ready to serve me um, so we've taken a break to actually do some political education um, for our network of practitioners we have about 150 practitioners in our network who are uh, ancestral traditional and indigenous uh, healing practitioners um, and so we're we're doing trainings um, we did, just did one on the connection between like ecological justice and healing justice. And the next training we're doing is actually on understanding uh, our roles as practitioners and serving um, queer, transgender, expansive folks in the Bay, and so I just have a lot of respect for um, you know, that, that community, one of the reasons behind that is if, we, if we're not prepared, again, I think it's speaking to what you were saying. You are like, you know, the colleges are calling out, you know, wanna diversify, but they're not prepared. You can have as many programs, student housing, all this stuff, but if the people are not prepared to serve, then, you know. Um, so that's, that's part of the, the legacy that we're also, is coming from all of the work that the Panthers did right here and continue to do here in, in the Bay in Oakland, specifically, and, and I agree. Everything dope just comes out of Oakland, you know? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about that. And again, if y'all have any questions, I'm more than happy to answer that later.
5: Yeah, I, I echo the statements of the last two panelists. I, um, I'm really excited about the intersections of health and really everything Creativity, <laughs> um, activism, uh, movement, music, uh, really at Dream, if anyone has talked to me or seen our Instagram or anything, we always say health is everything, because it is. It really is, health is everything. It is not just coming into an exam room and having uh, a conversation with a practitioner or getting tested or whatever, um, whatever. So the, the, our, especially our Western systems have, um, have prescribed or created. It is everything before that. It's your relationships. It's your connection with your community. It's you feeling safe in your community. It's you feeling creative and having space to um, cultivate, support, grow your creativity. It's you being able to care for yourself. It's everything else. Really, health is everything. And uh, I feel like in medicine, Medicine has done a really good job of siloing itself and kind of putting itself over in the corner, maybe like at the top of a mountain um, and saying that we're up here and you all are down there and, um, and, and it's done a real disservice to uh, communities and to us being able to, help, to care for our health and to talk about our health and to bring in our um, our ancestral traditions into the health space because that was, that's health. Health is everything. It's everything that we do that um, helps to sustain us and support us in our growth. So I'm really um, excited and interested in de-siloing medicine and healthcare and, and really bringing back in that creativity and, and passion. Um, for to our young people, because they get it already. They already get it, right? It's the same thing that Honey Gold just said. They already get it. They understand it, and they want to receive and um, and create and cultivate health in that way, because that's how they think about it. Um, so I'm just I'm really excited about um, being able to continue to do that, and I'm so happy that I, I'm meeting some new people today to help with that too.
6: Yeah, I would say for me, because the work that I do is specifically around. Um, serving young people who have been impacted by trafficking and exploitation, um, and those services need to be decolonized, um, because oftentimes the things that are intended to heal them are just another form of exploitation. Um, And so while there's no trafficker, there's still a savior, there's still um, a rescue. Um, That rescue is often attached to religion or um, performative mentoring, all kinds of fun things. Um, and so I'm, I'm very much interested in the, the things that, we, that our young people lose, the things that make them susceptible to traffickers, um, who are not strangers, by the way, um, who are not outsiders. Traffickers are insiders. Um, buyers are outsiders. Um, buyers are white men between the ages of 40 and 65. Um, and so if we look at, look at the challenge, I'm, I'm most interested in how we bring the cross-generational, multi-generational gaps that were created by the war on drugs, that were created by mass incarceration, that were created by um, the crack cocaine epidemic, the things that removed the caregivers, which made our children susceptible to trafficking, um, really replacing those. So the work that we do um, in our therapeutic living community, is it's a cross-generational, multi-generational environment. And so. Um, when a young person loses their family, they don't just lose their parents, they lose their extended family, they lose their traditions, they they lose their home language, um, they lose their lineage. And so those are the things that make them susceptible to being trafficked. And so, um, and susceptible to institutions, and susceptible to health risks. You know, if you don't know who you are, it's a lot harder to stay who you are. And so I think that that's the thing I'm most interested in is those intersections, is how do we recreate, how do we pull in folks, which actually requires um, challenging the silence, to your point here, the intergenerational silence around violence, the things that we blame ourselves for, the things that we don't take responsibility for. And so if we're gonna call in our ancestors, if we're gonna call in our elders, and we're gonna call in our youth, then we also all have to call in ourselves. And so I think that that's the thing I'm most interested in is how we do that intersection. How do we talk about those things in a way that is not rooted in shame, that is not rooted in pointing a finger, and it is sort of that whole concept of um, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to you, right? And so I think that's the thing that I'm most excited about these days.
7: feel like I'm in this place in life where I finally learned to give to myself so that I can give abundantly to others. Um, I've learned to, to really give from a place of completion and not depletion. And so my my guiding values in life right now are authenticity, vulnerability, and creativity. And it's how do I embody these values and have it reflected in my relationships with my in romantic ones, and family, and friendships, and work—the work that I do—and how do I create spaces where others can be their most authentic selves and be vulnerable and heal through different modalities of creativity? And I think one thing for me is that this year I'm tapping into my creativity, and like we—we we are all creators. Thank you, Bernie, for, for helping me realize that um, we are all creators of our realities and the thoughts that we the thoughts that we feed our minds and what are we nourishing? Are we nourishing these, I I won't get into that. Um, But I just wanna create spaces where we can really have these authentic conversations um, that are nourishing our souls and also kind of nourishing the gifts that we have but need um, guidance. So I'm excited to integrate movement, dance, um, creating different ways of, different ways of creating writing. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. I just I love what y'all are saying because as um, I just I love all of you and I love how you're like meeting each other on this stage. It's so great. Um, but you know I want to be that doctor that prays with her patients. I want to be that doctor that turns up with her patients and is hugging them and dancing with them because y'all have helped me realize in different individual ways like that is healing, health is everything. And it's so hard sometimes like walking into a sterile white hospital building and being like, how is this healing? And then realizing that the person I embody even in these very sanitized, um, pretentious spaces can be a source of healing. And I just wanna let everyone know who's here, especially if you're a woman of color, like we are meant to be in these spaces. We bring unique perspectives as bridges. Like, I just, the, my mom's in the audience, my dad's in the audience. And um, the healing that I have with them when I'm praying with them, I want to bring that to the people I love. And I, for example, Francis, when I did a birthday prayer with you, that was one of the most healing things. And sometimes I see medicine, medical students be so uncomfortable with the, the, with the intuitive, with knowing oneself and with with simply just the sensations that come with community sometimes. And so, I just know that in my practice, as I'm growing into this journey, that I'm still figuring that out and seeing what that looks like, but it's like, yeah, I'm gonna see you in the hospital, but then also, if you're going to a salsa party, like me and Nicole, we better see you there too. You know what I mean? Like, this work, as a doctor is not supposed to be confined to the hospital, it requires us to know and be rooted in our histories and who we are. And just, I'm so grateful for this conversation because it's like, again, affirming that after three weeks of not having conversations with a podcast episode. So it's, it's really great. See, we do this every two weeks for a reason. And it's just, it's beautiful to really have that affirmed on this stage right now.
5: want to make a quick comment to your comment and I I completely agree with you and I just really want to echo what you said um, that in addition to that feeling affirming to us as providers and healers it will feel affirming to the people that we're caring for for you for and it is it is so warm humanizing nurturing for um, folks that we're caring for to to realize that uh, that th- that they can have a, a real connection with us, um, I when I remember when I was a resident, uh, I took care of a lot of young people in residency as well, and we had a group at one of the homes of one of our young people with her parents and other uh, other folks who were in this young person's group in their house, and I've been to young people's baby showers and you go to their parties, and so it really feels not only is it Is it good for us? And we feel um, whole and complete as a healer, but it also feels whole and complete for the people that we're working with.
1: Oh, I was just gonna make a comment about how this is so nourishing to my soul. (laughs) As Bernie said, we normally meet more frequently and we haven't been able to because we've been preparing for this live event. Um, But being here with you five wonderful women has just been so inspiring and just so touching and you, you, like you were saying, Bernie, you can't tell me that I'm not healing myself when I'm praying. You can't tell me that I'm not healing myself when I am dancing in my room. Like There are so many other ways of healing that are like beyond the biomedical model that are so important to consider. And to remember that our patients have those ways of healing too. And I think the more that we consider all those different modalities and talk to our patients and get to know them deeper and know what modalities are for them well and connect with them at that level, We can heal so much more, and we can help them heal themselves. They don't even need us, but we just can can be there to guide them so that they can heal themselves and just, yeah, just all that trauma, all the pain, all those things can be washed away, and it's so beautiful to see um, just, yeah, you guys talking about all those different ways because it happens in so many different ways, and I think it's so important that we're here gathered today to talk about it and just to reflect on it and to let it sit in us so that way when we have our next patient encounter, or just any human encounter. Like, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be like this provider-patient relationship. It could just be with anyone to remember that everyone has their own way of healing. And just to acknowledge that, to learn more about it, to support that person in their own personal growth. Like, those are all such key things that I feel like I'm definitely taking away. I hope you guys all take away um, before you leave here. But before we go, we have one more question for all of our panelists. We want to know, how do you stand in your truth as a woman of color? I know, loaded question, but um, yeah. You can start, you can pop
3: if you want. If I want <laughs> <laughs> All right, no, no ask one. me. <laughs> how do I stand in my truth? Hmm. Okay. How I tend to stand in my truth in general, and especially as black woman, is to talk how I wanna talk. I don't code switch. No, I do not. Um, I feel like I used to do that a bit more um, when I first started going to work. Uh, I'm 26 now, but like, yeah. And I think a part of that too is like, I'm in the entertainment industry and I do hip hop therapy. So I guess now I've kind of, because I don't code switch, I feel like life has also kind of led me to spaces where I don't have to. So I realized that the more I started standing for my truth literally in the way I speak and then what I say too, and when I see something that's not cool, calling it out, like literally standing in truth and being truth. And if someone has to hold me accountable, being straight up and being like, dang, actually I did that and I'm sorry. Um, literally standing in truth has led me to the places that are the truest for me. And, um, I love linguistics. I love thinking about, like, the origin of words and, like, what I'm saying, like, this thing I have about good morning and then saying grand rising instead or good rising or, you know, like, calling in that energy the first thing of the day. Like, I don't want to, you know, we're... We, we're gonna mourn death is a part of life, but I also want to recognize that like when you wake up in the morning, you're rising like you weren't dead, you weren't like mourning anything. So I'm like thinking deep literally about the words I'm saying, and so that it feels true for me. You feel me?
7: Yeah. Thank you
4: <laughs> um, Being okay with taking my time) <laughs> take my time with a lot of things. Um, uh, for example, well, school, one of those things, like I, it's just a one, uh, it's a place, you know? <laughs> it's an institution that was meant for a very particular, you know, to do a very particular thing, to people to turn us all into the same thing. And so I'm A-OK with taking my time. And you know, and I tell folks when they're like, oh, this is a question that people always ask is like, what year are you? I'm like, nine. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck, okay, you know, like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I'll probably be another nine, who knows, you know, I'm like, I'm chilling. Um, and asking questions, you know, that that allows me to be in my truth when, because we get a lot of no's or a lot of ignores, you know, or a lot of people not seeing us, you know, I, I'm, as a brown woman, and I know, you know, as a black woman, too, from experiences that I've seen and heard, you know? And it's like, I'm going to ask a question now, you know? Like, why? Why why can't I come in? Why can't I do this? Who are you talking about? Who is that name you keep dropping? How do you know them? And why are they important to the conversation? Oh, they're not? You just want to let us know that you know them? Okay, that's cool. So <laughs> let's get back to, you know, so asking questions. Um, and then something I learned from this old Chicano organization, Probably get mad if I call them old, older <laughs> uh, Chicano organizer um, who was part of like the, um, organizing for the anti-apartheid movement in the '80s, who like the first thing he said to me and a group of other little Chicana's who were sitting there was like, "You need to always walk into a room like you belong there." And I'm like, but how do you do that? And he showed us. <laughs> He's like, don't walk in like this, and like look around and send the back. He's like, walk in like this, you know, and walk in a room. I'm like, oh, okay, because we don't we don't even notice, you know, sometimes we get so used to that. Um, so using my body as much as I can. I'm 4'11, so you know, <laughs> that's how I stand in my truth. <laughs>
5: Wow, this is a big question. I think, um, how do I stand in my truth? Um, by being just wholly committed to my purpose um, and really unwavering from that. And by, I, I, feel, I feel very um, blessed to be able to do things that are in line with my values. And just I'm just really committed to that. Um, I'm not willing to do things that are outside of my purpose and that are they're not in line with my values. Um, and I'm just really committed to that. And it is scary sometimes. And I think the strength um, really comes from the ancestors. That strength is, does not come from me. It, 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 that is like ancestral strength and um, being reminded historically um, the the strength and the resistance that Black folks have had to go through in this country, and using that as like my power. That's like the cape that I have. I'm like if they if they did it and they walked in it, I can walk in it. I can walk in it and I can um, and be com- completely committed to my purpose and my values. And I have rolled back on many things that were not in line with my values. People were like, what? You're going to walk away from that? And I'm like, yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. Even when it's been hard. Um, because of um, that ancestral strength and, um, and just the, the work and the struggle and the commitment that um, black folks have had in this country and what they have done.
6: Good question. Um yeah, I would definitely say um, that ancestral core is, a, is big and I think oftentimes we're looking to something greater than ourselves um, and uh, it's a cool reminder that you are also an ancestor. So you know come correct, right. So <laughs> I think that's super important. I also think as someone who is a high achieving person who is ambitious, um I'm also hard on myself, and so I think for me, the sort of turning point and, and the things that are um, that are affirming to me is when people say good things about me, believe them. Um, and when they say bad things about me, forgive them. because um, I'm hard enough on myself, so I actually don't need that feedback. but <laughs> but but in the worlds when you when you grow up in white spaces, you are raised to um, be self deprecating and you're raised to shrink. Um, and that's not the household I was raised in. Um, I was raised to expand. And so, um, yeah, that walking into the space like you own it, I do, because I'm indigenous, so it's mine. Um, you're welcome. Hope you enjoy the space. Um, <laughs> but if, if you can really stand in that, 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 If I'm willing to believe people when they say good things about me, then that means that I can also forgive myself. And if I can forgive myself, then I can forgive my lineage who can't forgive themselves, right? So I think that that core running through that I am a future ancestor is is very grounding and comforting. Um, Yeah, I think that's probably what makes it the easiest and being unapologetic just makes it easier to do lots of things. Um, Because people who can't handle it can't handle you, um, and the people who can will stay.
7: Um, I started this work, but it doesn't end with me. I used to to put the onus on myself that I have to do this work and, and do all the work, right? But I realized that I started this, I planted the seed and I'm nourishing it, but it doesn't end with me. And so this year has been a lot about releasing and I'm entering this new stage of renewing myself. Um, And I think how I'm living in my truth right now is is forgiveness. I feel like it took so many years for me to understand what forgiveness looks like in my life um and i realized this year with my spiritual awakening that forgiveness is not about the other person it's about forgiving myself it's it's about letting go of what does not serve me and allowing space for what does serve me and so that's how i'm living in my truth um drawing brown boundaries are important that was non-existent in my household um Yeah, and realizing that I can't save my mom, I can't save other people, I can't heal other people, but I can help others heal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also like knowing that I can love from afar and that I feel like I'm, there's so much guilt in my relationship with my mom and my family and there's so much to unlearn. So one of the, one of the, one of the really important questions that I, I had to ask myself when I started my MPH program was, what are things that I, what are things that I have to unlearn, learn, redefine, and accept? It's 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 loaded. It's a lot. Um, but what are things that you have to unlearn, learn, redefine, and accept?
1: Uh. Bernie says that we should also answer these questions, and even though I threw it out there, I didn't really consider anything for myself, so let me just wing it. Um, When I think of standing in my truth, I think of no one who stands more in their truth than my mother, Um, and if you know my mother, her name is Empress. Uh, (laughs) She stands her ground no matter what um, to a fault, and I feel like growing up, um, I'm her only child, she'd be saying some things, I'm like, mom, 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 no, 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 you, you gotta tone it down, you gotta reel it back, and she just would never, and she was like, she would look at me like I was crazy, like, no, sit down, go sit over there, I'm gonna keep <laughs> doing whatever I'm doing. Um, and I feel like, for me, that was just never, like, because she was so much like that, I was like, oh no, I can't do that, like I need to sort of go with the flow more, or just like not be that assertive in that way, because I found that that sort of like, assertiveness and like exactly what she wanted to do when she wanted to do it to be sort of like aggressive or off-putting. But now, as I've gotten older, I see like, there is no need to compromise what you want to do if that's what you truly feel like is right for you in that moment. And so I feel like I have grown more to be like, no, I'm not gonna do that, I'm okay. Uh, or I will do this because this is, this is what speaks to me. Like You're not going to take away this time for me that I have set aside for myself or that I have set aside for this person or whatever. And I feel like I've just really been able to stand in that and channel Mama Empress. And that is how I am standing in my truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think the way that I stand in my truth is by picking courage. Um, I think I feel like very similar to other people, like we have grew up with certain messaging um, and it feels like a heavy backpack. I'm carrying this heavy backpack through life. And every time that I pick courage in an instance where I can speak up or stay quiet, that backpack gets lighter every single time. And it's uncomfortable and it's hard, but picking courage is super important to me.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna add to that and I say, for me, Standing in My Truth is with courage, not asking for permission to exist and to love and to just like do things that people don't expect of me or even that like I expect of myself. And I just think of this podcast really like, I remember when we first started, I like hated my voice. and I was just like, who am who am I to do this? Who am I to I don't even listen to podcasts? I don't even listen to media like that. And we're only a medical student, so who are we to even, you know, talk about these issues? But really like, who are we not to be? You know what I mean? Like, if not us, then who? If not now, then when? Like and when we first conceived it, it was born out of so much love and this yearning for a community. And we figured the ish out, you know? We just, feel, fi- we continue to figure it out on GarageBand every single episode. And we continue to meet dope people who continue to affirm that like, you do not have to see yourself as lesser than for, quote unquote, just being a medical student or, you've never done this, that doesn't mean that you can't do it. Actually, the unique life experiences and identities that you bring to this space are what is needed to drive all of this forward. And you're not doing it alone. You're doing it in community. You stand on the shoulders of so many giants who have been through worse. And, like, we got this. You know what I'm saying? And so it's 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 just... For me, I'm learning to step into my power. That's really been my, my year of healing. I feel like all three of us have this um, really beautiful parallel journey of healing that we're, we're embarking on. I know, hashtag plant-based, right. <laughs> um, and yeah, I just feel like standing in our truths as women of color, um, is really this realization that we're not alone, that we're learning from each other, and that we are in community with each other, even if it's the first time that we've met, or if it's the sixth time, or years since, that it's a beautiful journey together, and it's not about what we're against, it's not about our oppressions, but it's about what we're for. And it's about this vision of love and truth and justice that we're all working towards. Hey. And so with that, we want to give a round of applause to our panelists, y'all. <laughs> Literally, this is, our, this is their first time meeting. This is Evie's first time meeting them, it's Nicole's first time meeting them. I've met all of them in different capacities, and so it's just beautiful to see all y'all together.
1: We just want, also wanna say thank you to all of our volunteers. Can I volunteer stand up, please? You know who, come on now, come on now. Stand up. Yay. Thank you guys so, so much for being here early, for supporting us, for listening to the podcast, all those things. Um, this could not have happened without you. Um, also, the Red Bay person isn't here, right? We'll just give a round of applause for Red Bay for having us here. Anybody else? Oh, you're. For Mama and Papa Lim, Bernie's parents who came up from SoCal, <laughs> round of applause for them because they raised such a fantastic daughter who we are also lucky to be here with today. Um, yes. Any, sorry, were you someone else?
2: Yeah, I just wanted to say, I've been trying to explain what a podcast is for a long time. And so this is just a beautiful, uh, beautiful meeting for them to, to come through. Um, I, I want to give a special shout out to Dr. Ayesha Mays. You've been so critical to this podcast. <laughs> season two, episode one? No, season two, episode two. Dr. Ayesha Mays has been so critical to... Connecting us with so many beautiful community people for allowing us to be in this space and just the continued work that we we do together. So
4: thank you so much for that. Like a plug on something is now would now be a time. Okay. Um, one one last thing. Um, kind of going back to the question about change in Oakland. Um, so just acknowledging that we are this is not just an empty acknowledgement uh, on uh, traditional Ohlone territory and Ohlone land. And so there's an organization called Sogore Te Land Trust where you can actually um, pay a land tax to uh, this organization which is led by um, indigenous, not just Ohlone, but indigenous um, intertribal, intercommunal women specifically uh, here in the Bay. And so what they do is they use that money and they've bought different um, land parcels and are changing those land parcels into community gardens, um, prayer spaces. And so you know, again, with that, things change, but how how do they change is is the thing, right? And this is part of a, a reindigenizing process that's ongoing here in the Bay and it's being uplifted right now. So if you're interested in paying your tax to the Ohlone people—a tax that we actually get to, like, we get to choose, right? And it's a really minimal, um, based on whether you're a homeowner or whether you're a renter. You can go to their website. Maybe y'all can put it up somewhere. Um, but it's Segura Land Trust. I think .com. I don't know if that's right or not, but I think that's what it is. It's .com or .org. Um, you can ask me. We can look it up together. <laughs> um, that's all I wanted to say.
1: And round of applause for all of you guys for being here tonight. Thank you so much. And I see my friends trying to take the microphone from me. Hi, everyone. I am the crazy lady
8: that has been running around with the camera. But I just wanted to take a moment to praise these three beautiful women. Like, look at their faces. Um, honestly, these three have been, like, my role models this past year, and just in terms of like how to be vulnerable, how to be yourself 100%, 300%, um, and how to just like show up, be present. And this event was so thoughtfully put together and um, so just like spiritual. And I just like all of the volunteers wanted to just like thank these three for putting together this event and just for being who they are. And so we have flowers. For you guys, (laughs) Um. (laughs) but yes, one round of applause for them and their awesome podcast.
1: No, no,
3: thank you so much. Hi, yeah, please. Okay, all right, all right, all right. So, as I mentioned. I love to bring music and healing together. So one of those ways that I really feel like will heal us is to have fun together and build community. So I organize and curate a game show every first Friday. It's at this cafe called Soul Provisions, which is right on 16th and Broadway. So it's this next upcoming first Friday, October 4th, starts at 7.30. My birthday is on October 10th. So this one, Gang, you feel me? Libra gang, we out here. So if you are a Libra or love the Libra gang and just love games in general, this is the place to be. Follow me on Instagram at Music. the flyer's on there. And also, if you're a youth, that's between the ages of 18 to 24. Um, (laughs) and you have a business idea that you would like to develop and get funded, you can become a Youth Hub Fellow for the year 2020. Um, So tap in with me. Applications are due November 1st. Bernie can definitely tell you more about the program. She is a fellow. And yeah, I'm trying to see October 4th and the tickets are only $7, so slide. Thank you
1: very much, Gold Jasmine.
0: So I have very important announcements. Um, (laughs) um, So to continue building community, we're gonna go out dancing tonight. So if anyone wants to join us, we'll be dancing to Afrobeats and salsa. Um, Come see us after the show and we can head out together.
2: And we're gonna celebrate again everyone here together, all of our panelists, as well as all of the communities that we are bringing with us to this space. So I invite you, if you feel so compelled to stand, and join us in a call and response by um, our beautiful sister Asada Shakur. And I invite you, if you so, if this, if it feels, writes to you tonight to place your hand over your heart, on your belly, you can close your eyes. And with a whisper or a shout, I invite you to join me in this call and response. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. We have nothing to lose but our chains. And we'll do that one more time as loud as you want. Just fill in yourself with so much inspiration that you've gained, whether that's a person or a word or a phrase or an experience that has touched you. It is our duty to fight for our freedom. It is our duty to win. It is our duty to win. We must love each other and support each other. We must love each other and support each other. We have nothing to lose but our chains. We have nothing to lose but our chains. Thank you so much for being here, y'all. Wow. We really appreciate it. Our first ever live recording with Woke Woke Docs. <laughs> y'all. Yeah, we did it. Thank you so much, y'all. We really appreciate you for being here. The turn up has only started. There's so many people who are going to be here in community. Panelists, if y'all are available, please stay around. People, literally just meet the person next to you because y'all are amazing and we're gonna be around. We also have some post-it notes of healing offerings for women of color in the space. So if you are a self-identified woman of color, please grab a post-it note of any healing offering that may resonate with you. Thank you so much, y'all. Have a great Friday.